Amen. Please remain standing if you're able. And let's turn in our Bibles to Genesis 37. Genesis 37. We'll be looking at verses 12 through the end of the chapter. Uh, But I'd like to begin at verse... We'll begin at verse 5. May God bless his holy word. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I've dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. And he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields, and the man asked him, What are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, They have gone away. For I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. 
Then they sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead and with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Amen. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. So Joseph's brothers hated him, and his father rebuked him for talking about these uh, strange dreams that he'd been having. That's where we left off last time in verse 11. In those dreams, you remember, everyone in the family was coming to bow down before Joseph. <clears throat> and he, uh, he, he just kept telling these dreams to his brothers. They were already jealous of him because he was the favorite uh, of their father. Uh, we're told that Jacob loved him more than all the others. So there were uh, a, a lot of bad feelings toward Joseph, but uh, he didn't help matters. His insensitivity uh, about that fact and about these dreams that he was having uh, made matters <clears throat> all the worse. He's going around wearing his fancy coat of many colors that must have uh, uh, cost a great deal to his father. And he was just talking about these dreams openly. And his brothers hated his guts. You can almost see the writing on the wall, even if you didn't know uh, where this story goes. 
these brothers uh, were filled with uh, anger and envy. They were not the forgive and forget types. They had uh, a plan, a bad plan for Joseph. Maybe it hadn't all come together yet in their minds, but it would soon enough. They planned bad things for him, but God's good plan was moving forward even through all those things, even through that bad uh, planning and uh, those evil thoughts that his brothers had toward him. What these men meant for evil, God would work together beautifully to do great good. He was putting Joseph into a position to be a savior for his family and for his people and for the whole nation that they would become. So as we look at this story, we see and and need to pay attention to two things. We need to pay attention to the human element that we see unfolding, but we also need to pay attention to the divine, to the invisible hand of God's providence that's guiding all these things. In verse 12, we see Joseph was sent to find his brothers. Um, His father Jacob told him, Go see if it is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring me back word. They were uh, grazing their flocks. They'd gone uh, away from uh, Hebron to go near to Shechem to graze the flocks. And that's probably a little bit of a surprise. And uh, I think it probably didn't uh, sit well with Jacob that they did this. He was probably worried because you remember Shechem was where Simeon and Levi had slaughtered the men of the city, taking revenge after their sister Dinah was raped. Obviously, um, Jacob's family was not well liked around those parts. Uh, So Jacob sent Joseph to go and check up on them to see if all was well. By the time he got there, though, they were already gone. They'd moved on elsewhere. And so he kept looking and finally found them near Dothan. Now, that was a big trip. That was a huge trip, actually. About 65 miles, we're told. A six days journey. This was not uh, just an afternoon stroll. That would have been uh, quite an exhausting trip. I don't imagine Joseph was eager uh, to make such a huge trip, but he did it. We don't see him complaining. He went, and he continued uh, even after he didn't find them where he expected them. He kept on seeking them, and he did this in obedience to his father. And that's beautiful. And we see his diligence here. His diligence is is commendable. Again, he didn't give up when he didn't find them. He persevered. He kept going. Most of us probably would have given up, uh, exhausted, and gone back when we didn't find, uh, find them in the first place we looked. But 
He kept on going to Dothan. So there's good character in this young man that we see. We see signs of um, good character in Joseph. He's not lazy, that's for certain. He's faithful, he's diligent, he's obedient uh, to try to do his father's will. His father had sent him on this mission and he intended to fulfill it. This is a good reminder to us that God's people should not be slack in their obedience. We are God's people. We are God's chosen ones. We are highly favored by the Lord, just as this young man was so highly favored by his own father. But that status of being God's chosen and favored people, that should not make us relax and be lazy. That should make us more diligent. That should make us want to be more faithful and more obedient to the Lord. Knowing that we're chosen and loved by God should strengthen our hearts, should encourage us. It should make us want to serve him and make us want to, to give of ourselves sacrificially. Then in verse 18, we see the plans of these brothers coming together. We see this evil plot hatched. When Joseph finally found his brothers, we're told they saw him coming from a distance and they conspired against him. They said, here comes this dreamer. Let's kill him. Throw him into one of the pits. We'll say that an animal devoured him, and then we'll see what comes of his dreams. All but one of these brothers wanted to kill him right there on the spot, and he was in their hands. But God's hand held them all, and in his providence, he restrained them from killing him. Reuben spoke up and intervened. And he talked them out of it. Reuben was the firstborn. He was one of the, uh, those who slaughtered the men of Shechem. So quite a guy. Not necessarily a good guy. But in this case, he didn't want to see his brother dead. And he said, no, let's not take his life. Shed no blood. Let's throw him in the pit. But don't lay a hand on him. And Reuben had a secret plan to come back and rescue Joseph later and take him back to his father. But regardless of that help by Reuben, while Joseph's life was spared, he went through uh, some very serious, uh, terrible treatment here. They stripped him of his robe, we're told, they threw him into this empty pit. This was terrible. This must have been very shocking for him. And in their minds at the time, they planned to just leave him in that pit, that dark hole, uh, except one of them, planning to let him just die there. That was their intention. And he probably thought that's exactly what was going to happen. He was trapped. Maybe even injured from being thrown down there and there was no water to drink 
He wouldn't last long there. He wouldn't be able to get out by himself. He must have been very shocked and, and horrified and saddened to be treated this way by his own brothers. We know God spared his life, but God allowed him to go through this very painful, brutal experience. That reminds us that God does not spare his children. He doesn't spare his chosen people from suffering and very hard trials in this life. It's only beginning for Joseph. But he's already experiencing a very difficult time. Later on, he would see the wonderful wisdom of God in working all these things together. But for now, he's suffering. Imagine he was full of fear, just wondering what was going to become of him. These were some hard-hearted men his brothers. And look at what they did. While Joseph's down at the bottom of that pit, probably crying, begging for them to release him, what were they doing? His brothers were just having a good old time, having a meal, eating, refreshing themselves. And while they're having this, uh, this time of fellowship and food, They look off in the distance and they see uh, a band of Ishmaelite traders coming along. And seeing an opportunity there, Judah suggests, hey, let's sell Joseph as a slave instead of killing him. He said, what would we gain if we kill him and cover it up? Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. His brothers agreed. When they came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the pit and sold him for 20 shekels. Just imagine doing that to a family member. Imagine doing that to your sibling. One minute you're going to kill him. The next minute you're, no, I'll just leave him out here in the wilderness and let him starve to death, die of dehydration. Oh, no, let's sell him. I'm going to sell my brother. Imagine the hardness of heart to do such a thing. But that's exactly what they did. And so Joseph was sold off to these Ishmaelites. They're also called Midianites. Uh, It seems to be the same group. They're referred to by two different names here. Probably related by intermarriage. Um, But really the point is not um, that. The point is that these were not God's people. Who came along. These were not God's covenant people. So think about what's happening here. We have God's people, God's covenant people in these brothers, these rotten brothers. Those are the covenant people. And they sold Joseph into the hands of these ungodly pagan people of the land. It's unthinkable. It shouldn't be that way. 
people of God certainly shouldn't treat each other like this. We see a parallel here to something that we see later in the Gospels, though. Remember, the Jewish leaders plotted against Jesus, and they handed him over to the Gentiles to be put to death. His own people did this to him. And so in what Joseph endured here, we see a a picture, a foretaste of the sufferings of Jesus Christ and his humiliation. Well, so these people bought the young man, Joseph, and they made him a slave and went on their way to Egypt. Here again, we see that God is using these things, these bad things, to accomplish his will, his good will. Joseph did not die at the bottom of that cistern. And no, he would not be rescued by his brother Reuben, who wanted to rescue him. You wonder, why not? Reuben wanted to save him. Why wouldn't God just let Reuben do that? Why didn't he allow it to work out so that Reuben was able to come back and deliver Joseph from all his troubles? Why did this band of uh, traitors have to come along and that idea pop into Judah's head? Why, why, why? Well, because God had a bigger, far better plan in mind. And we often ask, why? Why does it have to be this way when bad things happen? It's baffling to us why God doesn't just deliver us out of our troubles, especially when they're severe when they're really painful ones, really difficult trials and tribulations. We think we know what would be best for us, and it's to not be in that spot. It's to get out of that. Why doesn't God just do that when we're in those kinds of situations? Why doesn't he spare us from those trials? Joseph probably was thinking thoughts like that. God's providence often works that way. It's often very mysterious. It's often very even bitter to us when we're going through it, when we're in the midst of those sufferings. We don't understand why. Why do we have to have things happen like this? Why do we have to suffer this way? And, of course, our eyes are on that situation, the here and now, the pain and the suffering. We don't have in mind the end of it all. We can't see the end result, the outcome. And it's very hard to even think about that as being a a good outcome when you're going through the bad suffering in the present. That is why we need to learn 
to keep trusting in the Lord, no matter what the circumstances may bring. We need to know who our God is. We need to keep believing that he is altogether good, and he is faithful, and he is loving, and his unfolding plans are good, and they will bear out the goodness of his character and his will for us. And they would for Joseph. But in the meantime, things were very hard. He ends up in Egypt. Uh, but first, Moses tells us about his brother's deceit. Their deceit toward their father. We're told they slaughtered a goat, and they dipped Joseph's robe in the blood, and they brought it to their father, and they said, Hey, we found this robe please identify whether it's your son's robe or not obviously he said it is my son's robe without a doubt he's been torn to pieces and of course that's exactly what these brothers wanted him to think so we see some irony here i think if we're paying attention to jacob being deceived like this. Jacob is deceived by his sons. You see the irony there? Remember, Jacob himself deceived his own father, Isaac. And he did that with the skins of a goat. And now Jacob is deceived by his sons with the blood of a goat. At any rate, this wicked lie worked. He believed them, and they persisted in this lie for a long time. They even kept it up while Joseph, uh, rather, while Jacob was in a in a a long time of mourning for his son. Can't imagine watching him cry his eyes out, sackcloth weeping for a long period of time, and they kept up the lie. They even put on a show of trying to comfort their father. But he wouldn't be comforted. He was inconsolable. We're told he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for many days. He refused to be comforted. He was very broken up. Finally, we have this closing word about, jo- uh, about Joseph. We're told in verse 36, the Midian, Midianites sold Joseph to Potiphar in Egypt, one of the Pharaoh's officials. Again, we need to see this from both the human side and the divine perspective. From the perspective of God, and his providence, he had planned all of this. And we'll see the wisdom of it, and Joseph will see the wisdom of it soon enough. It won't be all that soon for him, but he'll see it eventually. But we see the wisdom of it 
knowing the story. Joseph is put in place here in Egypt, and he's put there to be a savior for his people. But at the same time, we can't minimize the human side of what was going on here. We shouldn't minimize the terrible trial that Joseph was going through, the suffering of this all. One day he's living like uh, the favorite son, like a highly favored little prince, and now he finds himself as a slave in a faraway foreign land. He must have been horrified. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't be ready for that at 17. He's probably angry as well at his brothers. And maybe angry at God. He knows God must be in control. He's wondering, why would God allow these things? This young man had been betrayed by his close brothers. He'd been nearly killed, and now his life is not his own. He's a slave. And this was just the beginning of his sufferings. If ever there was a person who was an innocent victim, this is a a picture of such a person. But you don't see a victim mentality in Joseph. You don't see that here or, or even later or anywhere in his story. And why was that? Well, it's because this was a young man who believed God's word. This is a young man who believed the promises of God that had been handed down through Abraham and to Isaac and then to Jacob. And no doubt Jacob had taught his sons and Joseph had learned about the Lord and his gracious promises. Joseph has been taught to believe those promises. He's been learning all his life to trust the Lord. And now it's time to do that in hardship. He remembered those stories of the Lord's faithfulness to his father and grandfathers in all the hard things that they went through. And now he's beginning to trust God for himself. He's trusting the Lord to be his God. It's becoming personal for him. He's trusting God to bring his promises to pass in and through his life despite what he's experiencing. So he's learning to walk by faith. And that's what we all need to do in this life. And we need to do that, especially in the context of what we're reading here, we need to do that in our trials, in our times where we've been wounded where we've been hurt, where we're suffering from wrongs that have been done to us. We've suffered 
things that are unfair, when we've been betrayed, insulted, maybe harmed physically or financially, whatever the case may be, you know, those things hurt and those hurts linger. They can be devastating. But living in uh, that victim mentality or, or living in bitterness over those hurts that's not a good response. That's not good for you. If we live that way, we're going to put ourselves, as it were, into slavery of another kind. Slavery to those past hurts. Slavery to bitterness. Slavery to unforgiveness. What we need to do instead is to recognize the truth that our God is in control of it all. And He is wise, and He is wonderful, and He is working all things out according to His great and perfect designs. Even through the sufferings, even through the worst things that we endure. Of course, we shouldn't uh, minimize the, the, the evil, the wrongs, the pain, the things that people have committed against us, sins against us, or against others. We shouldn't minimize those things or make light of suffering. But we do need to reject the temptation to wallow in bitterness and continue living in anger. Instead, we need to focus on trusting in the Lord. Trusting in God who cares for us and who's present with us through it all and who gloriously is working all those things together for great good. Great good. Large plans and purposes the Lord has in store through our light and momentary afflictions. His purposes are are bigger and higher than we even imagine. You know, we may not see the good for a long time, or maybe never in this life will we see the good that comes from the bad things that we're enduring. But it will come, and we can trust that He will see to it. His purposes are always good because He is always good and wise and just and loving. And He'll take care of all those wrongs. We don't have to worry about that. We certainly don't have to try to take care of them ourselves like the Apostle Paul said in Romans 12, trying to get, get revenge for ourselves. The Lord can handle all that. We can let it go and leave it in his hands. We can truly rest everything in his omnipotent, sovereign hands. Do that, people. Trust in him. Keep trusting that whatever your circumstances may be and whatever they may bring in the future, 
you are his beloved child. You can know that your father loves you. And he means it all for good. And he will see to it that that good is accomplished. Let's pray. Help us to walk by faith and to watch and trust your good providence in our lives. Help us to trust in you and your goodness, despite how we might be tempted to think or to respond in those circumstances. We pray that you'd help us to glorify you in those times and in all things. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.